1. Lincoln, Nebraska, 1961 The boy stared in wonderment at the ancient reliquary. The jasper and turquoise nodules lit a fire in the boy's eyes and heart as his small fingers nervously traced the raised silver script that surrounded the relic. The boy's great-grandfather, Samuel Turpin, was celebrating his 85th birthday. All of the old man's relatives had turned out for cake, mints, coffee, and mint-flavored punch. The boy cared little for the banter of aunts and uncles, or even cousins. He had come to his great-grandfather's house to hold the holy relic of the Turpin family. His reasons to visit had been like that for a few years now, ever since his great-grandfather had uncovered the Turpin treasure for the boy that first time, a hot and humid July evening of thunderstorms and shrilling cicadas. The boy's mind wandered as he imagined the ancient mountains and rivers that carriers of this treasure had plied, only to deposit the relic into the good graces of the Turpin family. The relic exuded wonder and mystery. For the boy, it was truly a great treasure. The Turpins had always been poor. Poor had its own aroma, and the smell of poverty hung all about them. Yet within the Turpin household, impeccable hygiene and personal pride sat as a monument amid the desperate neighborhood. Turpins may be poor, but they know how to bathe and present themselves, was the axiom handed down from generation to generation. Samuel Turpin had retreated from Ireland to New York near the turn of the century. He found little spiritual purchase in the streets and boroughs of the great city of the East. Samuel, his new wife in tow, had taken a train west, a one-way passage to Spokane, Washington. When he saw the fertile soil of the high plains of Nebraska, he cut short the journey and settled among the north-bottom German Russians, who had recently abandoned the ground of Norka, Russia, for the farmland surrounding Lincoln, Nebraska. Samuel, too poor to buy ground or build, rented a small white house that pleased him. He found hard and honest work dismantling boxcars at the Havelock shops of the Burlington Railroad Yard. Each day, Samuel, black from creosote, tar, and grease, came home to his dinner and the treasure of the Turpin line. His wife shook her head in exasperation each evening as Turpin took a bit of whiskey and a bowl of pipe tobacco and contemplated the strange, gem-encrusted box. For an hour or longer, Turpin would stare at the treasure of the Turpins before turning in, only to start again at six in the morning, wielding a ten-pound pry bar in the stifling confines of a boxcar. The treasure had come with a skin and parchment diary written in the old Irish of the seventeenth century. The last entry had been made in the fall of 1607 by Samuel's namesake. For hundreds of years the Turpins had passed the treasure down to the senior male of each generation. Despite ignorance of the true nature of their treasure, the generations of Turpins had infused the antiquity with something that went much beyond an heirloom. The relic had become a talisman for the family. Over the centuries, for reasons they could never articulate, the sanctity of the treasure took precedence, even over putting bread into the mouths of their children.
During desperate times, though tempted to sell the relic in order to eat, the Turpin line remained resolute in maintaining possession of their treasure. Now the boy, eyes wide, worried the reliquary with curious fingers. The old man, tired of the attention of relatives and well-wishers, hobbled into the room and silently watched the boy and the Turpin treasure. Gay boyo, it's only a thing. Do you not see it as so? asked Samuel Turpin. No, great-grandpa, it's not only a thing. It's a treasure. You have a treasure here. And how can you be so certain, boyo? Because it's older than anything I've ever seen. Samuel grasped the precious box and shifted it to rest on a lip of an end table in the simple room. Many years ago, his wife had died and left Samuel to his own bidding within the small household.